We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And my guest this week is the great Ariel Cohen of uh, the ATC projections. Um, you should know who he is if, if you've been playing fantasy baseball, but uh, really appreciate you joining me this week, Ariel. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for the very nice introduction and uh, great to chat with you. I'll, I'll chat with you in person in just uh, literally 24 hours from now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You got out to Arizona uh, before I did. Did you, you got there today, right? Yeah, I just got here, and uh, I have to do a show from a hotel room at Mesa, Arizona, first pitch. Right? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I can't wait. Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer that it, I'm not necessarily even getting a weather upgrade uh, this this time. It, usually, they're usually in Wisconsin. It's uh, you know we're in like the 40s or, or at least low 50s, but it's been beautiful here this week, and I know it's supposed to be kind of in the the 60s for. Uh, most of the time while we're out there. So um, that's kind of weird, but I'm, I mean, that's not why I go out there. It's just so fun to, to catch up with everyone and just watch baseball in person in November. Um, can't beat it. So looking forward to getting out there tomorrow, but um, really excited to, to chat with you here uh, this evening. And uh, before we kind of get into to too much, um, how about you just break down uh, what is ATC and where can people find it? Yeah, so ATC is my projection system. Um, that uh, I, I you can find that on Fangraphs. You won't be able to see it now, or what you see now are the projections from preseason 2022. Uh, they will come out in the third week of January for 2023. The best way to understand ATC is it's not a standalone projection, it's a conglomeration of a lot of other projections. and. I always think back to um, I do a lot of modeling in hurricanes uh, for my company, Natural Disasters. If you've ever seen the three and five day cones for hurricanes where, oh, goodness, uh, you know, the, here's the dotted line. We think it's going to go here, but here's the bubble where it can go. Well, that, that hurricane forecast actually comes from a bunch of different other hurricane models. There's the Clipper model, Florida State model, the Navy's got a model. And the, one of the algorithms are uh, these uh, 
um, these bureaus put together, uh, they take all the different models, but it's not just taking an average of them. They look at different components. Some models model temperature better than others. Some models model uh, wind speed, maybe storm surge. Uh, different components of different models are modeled better than others. They just have a better track record. And so when you take the models and you combine them, you take the best of each. Maybe you're taking 40% of one and 10% of one and 2% of any other for wind speed. And maybe for temperature, it's 30, 30 and five, you know, um, and each one gets a different percentage and that's how it's added. It's, it's also the same method that Nate Silver uses when he looks at polling, right? When he wants to say, okay, who's winning in this state? Well, there are better polls for better states. Um, maybe there's a, a poll, uh, Maris does very well in uh, Maryland, but terrible in Jersey. And maybe CNN poll does good in Maine and, you know, and so on and so forth. So you take a higher percentage of the total of the better ones. And that's how you pr project each one. And you get a model for each state for Nate Silver. For me, for baseball, it's very similar in, in the sense that I have a different model for stolen bases, different model for homers, different model for even playing time, different model for pitcher strikeouts, intentional walks, you name it. And so I'm combining based on historical performance, right? I, I first figure out which models perform better and how to combine it. And that's really the whole strength. Uh, and then I do that. And once all the projections trickle in in January, I then combine it and you get a nice aggregated method. And, uh, you know, the best part of ATC is, look, you're never going to get, because it averages projections, you're never going to get an outsized projection. Wow, this guy's going to hit 65 homers. You'll never see that. But what it'll do is it'll steer and give you a very good guess. Here's the good guess that you should have for each player. And it'll help you avoid traps where, you know, wow, this if you look at one projection system, it says this guy's really good. But if all the other projections say it's, he's not, uh, it'll avoid that trap. And it'll help you get more, hit, more hits than misses. It's, it's the frequency that ATC helps more than the magnitude. Uh, and that's a little bit of a gist of what ATC does. And... Are there any sort of clear, like, and I know, I know you've written about this uh, in the past, but like, is, is steamer better than the others at one thing, or is the bad X better than the others at, at one thing? Are there some sort of clear ones that you can kind of rely on uh, as far as that's concerned? Yeah. I mean, all those projections, especially ones on fan graphs are excellent. I never really published which one are better for which it's sort of the secret sauce I have, but uh, I can tell you that the bat does very well for power categories. Uh, Steamer does great for, for some of the pitching categories, um, you know, but it, it's not just good or bad. It's, you know, better and worse, right? There's other projection models right. out there that are not in fan graphs that I use uh, that add a little bit of weight to the, to the equation, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like I've been at First Pitch Arizona before the day when Steamer comes out um, or, or something like that. Is that is Steamer going to be the first one uh, this year? And is that going to be coming out um, shortly? Do you know? Yeah. So the way that Steamer works, Steamer takes historical performance for a player and it sort of uh, weights it. So it, it event weights it. So, you know, something that happened a year and a half ago is treated differently as, as important than something two and a half years ago, three and a half years ago. So steamer actually in the middle of the season reprojects information and it, it incorporates the new, you know, the new data. So if you're in May of 2022, April, 
data was included in the rest of the season steamer projections. So technically speaking, aside from playing time, which is a different story, the rates at the end of the 2022 year are pretty much final, and Steamer is pretty much ready to go. All Steamer really waits for is the guys over at Fangraphs to update the depth charts on who, what the playing time is, and then it goes. Um, you can actually get Steamer. I don't know if people realize this, but I believe what's in the depth charts um, – auction calculator currently um it's not up on the player pages because dave appleman didn't set it forth yet because we're still in the middle of we're still in the middle of the world series so you're not going to see he doesn't want to put projections in there but if you actually want to get dollar amounts and see what projections are are worth value wise i think they're actually up there already under depth charts uh in the auction calculator but uh, yeah essentially to answer your question uh, the day after the World Series, I think uh, Appleman will turn him on and you should be able to get him. So remember, the first pitch is late this year and the baseball season is late this year, I should say. Um, you know, the World Series, it's already, you know, November. We usually have a result somewhere by now. Right. Yeah. Usually that that first sort of welcome speech Ron Chandler has the, you know, congratulates the World Series winner. Um and so the fact that it's it's still going on is is definitely uh, an interesting uh, right. wrinkle this year. Uh, but that is that's good to point out. Um, the Fangraphs auction calculator is a fantastic tool. Um, do you know what the typical schedule is for the uh, other projection systems getting released onto the site? Yeah, I can talk about the ones on Fangraphs. Uh, the fi- the final one is always going to be Zips. Not because he hasn't done it yet, but Dan Zamborski likes to release them team by team. I think he just wants to get 30 articles out of it. So, mm-hmm. oh, here's the Reds, his Zips projections. He actually has them, um, they, you know, uh, and I can certainly get my hands on them personally. Uh, but uh, you'll see them later in the year. You'll see them somewhere in February. Uh, Steamer, as I said, comes out first. The depth charts originally will... M- resemble steamer once zips comes out it'll be the aggregation so you really have to wait until zips is out for that uh the bat comes out somewhere in january and atc will come out pretty much right after that i mean i usually coordinate with Derek Hardy so as we don't release it on the same day to give him a little bit of breathing room um so his will come out maybe second week of uh january and mine will come out about third week of january remember mine by definition really should come out later in the later as possible because it incorporates other projections so uh it's not that i'm not doing my homework here and i'm getting getting lazy here i literally by definition have to wait for some of the others to trickle in yeah what are so what what is your sort of schedule for you personally kind of prepping for 2023 um from say the end of the regular season um you know, you haven't released ATC yet. What is sort of, what are you doing kind of whenever you're taking time out of your day uh, to kind of study uh, baseball in advance of the upcoming season? Like, what are you doing um, this time of year? So I usually take a little bit of a break from the end of the season just to take some time off, refresh and all that. Um, The first thing I do is, uh, well, before I even get into 2023, I, I sort of dissect 2022. I, I take a look at which projections performed the best. Uh, maybe I'll write some articles on, you know, 
by position, what was uh, what was a good position uh, value wise? Where should you have put your money at the top for corners and the middle for outfielders? You know, do, usually do some analysis there. But in terms of 2023 planning, uh, I first do what I call the ATC regressions is where I take what happened in 2022 um, and I compare it to how the projections projected it. And I sort of update my formulas for what weights to put on each projection. Um, if if you know if, if anybody's familiar with regression analysis, it's not a two second press a button here you go. I you know take a look very specifically at each individual um, each individual model, meaning each individual stat. Um, and I, I so I update it with the new data, and then I get new information, and then that takes me until about Christmas, and then I start getting my model ready to handle ATC for 2023. Um, and that's what I do in terms of the projections. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm a fantasy baseball analyst. So, you know, I'll dive into some interesting players. Maybe I'll see if there were some people who were had a down year, an up year, you know, and try to get some uh, more qualitative information. But yeah, in terms of projections, it's uh, run regressions and then project. And I get most of my information done by first week, second week of January. We publish third week. Uh, and then I'm just analyzing ATC and, hey, where's the value? Where can where is the market really far from what ATC is? That's interesting. So you're you're definitely a um, get all your ducks in a row and then start drafting um, in kind of a normal person sort of offseason schedule. Uh, you're not crazy like me and you're <laughs> delving into the end of the drafts while the, the playoffs are still going on. Yeah. So uh, let's say someone who's listening um, is looking to maybe utilize projections more in their fantasy baseball game than they sort of have in past years. Uh, What are, do you have any sort of kind of projections for beginners type of uh, tips to kind of keep people sort of going down the right path uh, as they try to, delve more into utilizing projections? Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, I think the, the, the first thing is you really have to realize what projections are and, and you know, what they mean, how to use them. Um, you know, if, if you if you go into a room and say, oh, I really, really got to get the guy, I really got to get a second baseman, that's not really doing it. Projections give you a baseline of, you know, a mathematical way of showing here's what will happen next year. And you need to understand that on even the greatest scouts, even the greatest minds, the best fantasy baseball players don't always get it right. And I don't know that they get it right in the long run, much better than the projections. Now, in some situations for projections, you know, if you know that a guy's going to get more playing time or, you know, a guy's going to steal more, as manager said so, or if you have some soft information, that's something else. But all else being equal, you should always be resigned to starting at least with a base case of projections. And why not use ATC? Because it really incorporates all the projections. Use that as your base. And of course, if you think a player should have more homers, you know, you can always tangentially adjust from there. But start with projections. And what I would recommend to everybody is on fan graphs, um, once ATC is released, you'll see what's called the auction calculator. I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but uh, under the projections tab, all the way down, there's a thing called the auction calculator. And what it does is it lets you put in your league settings. So a player's value might be different for different league settings. For head-to-head points, it might be different for a roto. If you incorporate on-base percentage instead of batting average, it'll be different. Put in your league settings, how many teams, how many players, category scoring. 
And when you compute the auction calculator, it'll give you a dollar amount for what a player is worth. That'll show you the relative value. That'll show you the difference between positions. Oh, look, this guy is a $20 player. He's a second baseman. He's a $20 player. He's a third baseman. All else being equal, you know, you should be indifferent to taking either one because they're the same value. And those values are also position adjusted, right? Catchers normally would never be taken if there wasn't a a position adjustment. But because there's only a limited number of catchers that are good, it bakes that in and gives you a dollar amount for the catcher because you need to make an adjustment. So it does all the nice things for you. And I would start with those numbers. Um, you know, that should lay out your basis. That should also show you the tiers. So if you, if you, for example, are in a draft and you see there's 10 shortstops between 20 and $25, um, you don't have to take a shortstop right away. Even if it's the top guy available, you might be better off taking a corner if there's only a few corners and a lot of shortstops because you'll be able to get a similar shortstop, right? If you don't get the $25 one, go three rounds later and get a $22 one. It's a $3 difference, but the drop in corner might be five, six, seven. So utilize those to look at tiers, to get relative values, to see which positions have a lot of a mass that there's more fungible players um, and so on and so forth. The, the final thing you should do, and that's a little bit more advanced, but well worth it is if you download ADP, you can then compare where what the market thinks to what ATC or projections think. And that will really tell you the pockets of value. That will really tell you who's overvalued. Why is this player being taken so early? Projections are much worse. Well, don't buy that player. Oh, my goodness. Projections say this guy is good. Why is the market off on him? Maybe that's a buying opportunity. So when you compare it to market, that will give you the complete information as to where the value lies. Oh, it, there's a lot. There's about four players who are undervalued according to ATC at the ten dollar range for first base. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't take a corner up top, and I should take that because I think the market is weak on those. Right, and co- tying in all that information really is going to help you in the end. Really good advice. Um, I know you know for a lot of people that might have all sort of sounded basic, but I, I really think a lot of people could improve their games by just following a lot of, a lot of what you just said. Um, this is something that I've, I've been really interested in. Uh, and I thought you'd be a great person to ask. Um, do you think the projection systems will be preemptively reacting to these new rules, such as the you know defensive shift and the, the size of the bases and, and stuff like that? Yeah, um, I think that some projections will and some projections won't. I think that in general they should, right? I mean, if if you know that there's going to be a different environment, if you know the run environment's going to be more, you, you should ought to project it there. Uh, I can tell you, for example, the bat for sure will. I know Derek Cardi well, and he's going to be you know using math to and physics to say, oh wow, there's going to be more base, there's going to be more stolen bases. Oh, if there's no shift, well, you know maybe he's projecting. Um, uh, pull versus oppo that will give you a bigger information the projections that have a component based are the ones that are gonna probably don't have to do much more math if they've already based out component wise uh, and it'll show an effect right away i know zips for example won't zips uh dan zimborski uh the zips model is more of a historical 
uh, player comparison model. So, you know, it'll take a look and, all right, this player this age did this. What does it compare? What players does it compare to in the past? And what were the following seasons? And there you go. It doesn't really know how to incorporate the new information of, well, now adjust for the ball and now adjust for the, the, the new rules. Now adjust for pickoffs. It doesn't really know how to do that. And Dan, Dan's perspective is, is, uh, um, well, I don't know what to do. So why make a bad guess, right? I'm just guessing. I don't have any data to back it up, so why do it? After next year, okay, then we'll incorporate it. So you might see him not. I know Derek will. Um, I, have, I I will be talking to a bunch of the other projection guys. So, I, in fact, I'm probably going to do an article. I did this um, a couple of years ago when I think uh, the ball shifted or, or something like that. Um, or, or the humidor, you know, anytime there's a big factor, I, I always try to write an article and poll the, the projection art artists, let's call them artists, uh, as to, uh, what they'll do. So look out for that probably a month from now. Um, and you'll see what the different perspectives are. So I think we want to, at least I want to react a little, uh, to these new rule changes. Um, I don't want to overreact and I feel like I'm generally kind of um, not going to overreact on something like this. Um, but I do think we want to react a little bit. Is, is there a type of player that you think the drafting public is going to uh, discount or inflate um, before we see these rule changes in action? Um, I mean, I know that, I guess I don't even know, necessarily what you do with the stolen base factor because that's a decision on the part of the player and like i don't think we're just going to expect everyone to run 15 percent more than they have or something like that uh, i know a lot of smart people are already talking about maybe uh discounting ground ball pitchers uh, a little bit um what what's your take on on all that all right so i mean there's a couple things to say first of all i just want to point out that um, the, there's what will happen, and then there's how will fantasy players react happen. And I think those are two different things. Yes, there's going to be more stolen bases. Yes. Uh, if there's no shift, that means that people who pull the ball of the ground are going to have more, more hits. Ground ball pitchers, by definition, are going to have more, uh, more hits allowed. We know that's going to be true. You know, we'll, we'll have to quantify how much and, you know, maybe I'll come up with a good guess for it. But the question is, how will people react to that? And I think that, you know, people playing fantasy baseball, if they know what's going on, they are going to react. The question is, will they overreact? I tend to think people do overreact. Um, I tend to think people will say, wow, well, we got to account for the for, for this change. So let's really let's get this guy. And I don't think that they're going to fully incorporate that. You know, if a, if a player is a $7 player, maybe the change only turns them into an $8 player, but everyone will react and say, let's make them a $12 player. So I kind of think that whatever reactions are going to go on are going to be overly done. Um, so I, I'm hesitant to really do that. But yeah, you know, just, just exactly what I said. Those are the types that, that will change. As far as the stolen bases go, I don't, I don't know if, if that's going to change all that much because the, the stolen bases these days are really dependent upon manager's decision whether a player runs more than that it's 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 opportunities more than anything and we know that that in today's baseball day and age we don't want to run into outs so a player has to have roughly a 78 percent chance or more uh success rate for them to keep running otherwise they're given the red light in general so um 
I don't think that environment's going to change all that much uh, based on bigger bases. Um, however, uh, there has been an uptick in the last year and a half in stolen bases. Um, I mean, stolen bases have been going down, down, down. But actually, there was an uptick the last year and a half. So I expect that trend to continue a little bit. Um, how much of any trend next year is is going to be part of the new rules or part of the general uptick? It's hard to say. Um, but I wouldn't go overly nuts in in trying to actually do it. And in fact, I think the market's going to overdo it. Uh, that's my gut feel. So um, I would say that stone, uh, except for stone bases, I think that people right now overvalue stone bases as it is. Um, so to the extent that they're going to really push more players to, to, to get stone bases, that's that's got to be the wrong thing. So I, I, I would say in terms of stone bases, they're going to very overreact um, for no reason. In terms of the other stuff, they're going to react and probably a tad too much is my gut feel. Very good. All right. Let's uh, head to a quick message from our sponsors. And then I want to ask Ariel about uh, a Twitter thread of his um, from last offseason that, that really resonated with me about the saves market. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, we are back with Ariel Cohen. And Ariel, I remember uh, last offseason, um, there was just a lot of people really just did not care for how high people were taking closers and there were a lot of, you know, that's, that's insane. How could you take a closer in the second round or the third round, or how could you take this closer over, you know, an established hitter like, like this guy. And uh, you had this really great um, thread on Twitter, uh, February 1st, uh, 2022, uh, and you were talking about um, relative pricing, and it just, it really resonated with me, and it really sort of, I mean, there was probably some some confirmation bias there, because you basically just did a better way of articulating everything that I was sort of already thinking about the saves market, um, but can you kind of lay that out for the listeners um, in terms of you know, sort of how relative pricing needs to be factored in with something like saves. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very glad that you enjoyed the Twitter thread. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the save, by the way, um, I think the Twitter thread ended up being right. Uh, the, the, essentially, I said that everybody's paying up for saves, and that means that you should, too, for, for at least one person. And that actually turned out to be the right decision because there was a lot of uncertainty, and the top 10 closers in general didn't have much uncertainty. There was, you know, one or two fails, but as a percentage of, of hits and busts, that was really good. Um, in terms of relative pricing, you know, it, you can't just say how much is this guy worth. It's it's not a, a standalone. Oh, a closer is worth twenty. A closer worth. 30. It, it's not. It, it's a market. When you're buying fantasy players in an auction and a draft or whatnot, you're buying. Uh, it's an economic closed market. You're buying quantities. You need saves. You know, it's like going to the supermarket. You need oranges. You need you need uh, uh, apples. You need milk. You need bread. You know, everybody needs milk. You know, everybody needs water. You know, if the price goes up, then you, you do have to pay for water, right? It's an economic environment. It's not just, oh, a player has a value. And to, to, to really understand this, you got to think of the exaggerated cases. And um, this always comes up when people ask me, Ariel, what is the best, what's the most appropriate hitter versus pitcher split? Like, so should you spend 70, 30, you know, as a percentage of your budget, 70% of your budget, should it be hitters? Should it be 62? Should it be, you know, what is it, Ariel? And my answer is it really doesn't matter. It matters what everybody else is doing. And the exaggerated cases, let's say everybody said, you know what? We're going to spend 90, 90% of our budget on hitting. We're just going to buy hitter, 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 hitter. And we're not going to draft a pitcher till the 12th, 13th round. If you said, well, I got to get my ace in the first round, I got to get three pitchers in the first seven rounds, you're going to end up with an average team and in Roto. And the reason is, well, you're going to knock the pitching out of the park because you're going to absorb the best pitchers, but you're not going to have any hitting. All those other guys are going to have much more hitting because they decided to spend 90%. And if you look at the opposite exaggerated case, what if you only spend uh, what if you spent 90% on on uh, the whole league spent 90% on pitching well and they didn't buy in hitting if you bought hitting as per regular well you're going to be lacking in the pitching you're going to do well in one and do poor in the other and end up with a middle team 
what you really need to consider is that the pitching prices are against other pitching prices and the hitter prices are against other hitter prices. It's no exact value. It's what is the relative value compared to the rest. So in the case of saves last year, saves are being pushed up in February, um, second round, Liam Hendricks, second round, uh, Hater, second round. We had third round, fourth round. We had closers flying off by the fourth round, something that we've never seen. I mean, I played fantasy baseball 10 years ago. If you pick the closer before the eighth round, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, people are doing it now. And whether you think that's the right thing or not doesn't matter because you're going to get priced out of the market. If you want to finish with a very low saves total, you won't spend any money. You have to think of it as it's not about spending the money on the saves, uh, about picking the round. It's getting the better relative bargain. Now, if you think that the second round Hendricks was ridiculous, but maybe there was a fifth round Jordan Romano that was more fairly priced than a Rysel Iglesias, right? It's just about how the saves, how the players are relative to each other, and and that's really the way to pick it. So um, based on that, my point was, okay, everybody's paying up for saves. There is a a three-round premium that you got to pay to get a closer. You got to pay it. And by the way, everybody's paying it, so you're not losing money. You're just competing. But remember, don't try to to get the best one or, or... don't play in a tier that you think is ridiculous relative play in something where you can get a little bit of a bargain relative to the other closers. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I think uh, the way I sort of look at it is, you know, it's, it's never, it's never fun to take a closer in the first five rounds of a draft, right? Like you, you recognize that in the moment, like that's not, an exciting pick to make. Um, and, you know, it's, it's weird taking someone that might only throw 55 innings over some starting pitcher that could get you 200 innings, but it's, it's less fun to be bottom, you know, two, three in your league in saves all season. And yeah. um, I think people should also, I, I've said this before, I think with saves specifically um, you have to, kind of play to your strengths as a drafter or an auction player. And if you are someone who is routinely sort of finding, you know, that you, you're always finding like a, a Daniel Bard from last year or something late, and you're, you're really good at that. Um, you can factor that into your, your strategy. But if, if you're not someone that, that is really good at that, then you, you might want to allocate resources to kind of, uh, cover up for for that weak part of your game. Um, what do you think about the 2023? Like, are, are we just is this current saves market uh, or what we saw last year? You think that's just going to kind of be the norm um, until further notice? Um, yes and no. I think that you're going to, in general, get saves a little bit pushed up, and that has to do with a lot of teams doing closer with committee they're doing saves shares well we know like the tampa bay rays it's just closer committee i mean uh, uh there's a higher probability of uh, of the the ball boy might get two saves like you you know it could be anybody on on the Rays. they just share it but there's some teams that do a closer share where okay he'll get 50 percent of the saves and two other guys will get the rest of the saves um then there's some situations where you know it's high leverage so a guy's only pitching high leverage opportunities. He'll get, you know, 25% of the saves, but he's there for high leverage. So there's teams that employ that. So we are going to get less saves um, 
going to one person on a team, and that really inflates the price of closers that are more uh, lockdown guys. That's 100% true. But remember, last year at February, we had the lockout. So because of that, A, we didn't know of any players who didn't sign yet, where they're going to go. Where is Kenley Jansen going to be? I don't know. Um, so you, you dealt with some no information. You also didn't have injury information, nothing. So we didn't know about that. There were some closer battles. We have no idea what's going to come up with that. So there was more uncertainty because of the lockout than usual and no information. So when there's uncertainty, you want to pay more for short prices. That super inflated it into the second round. I don't think that level will continue, and, but, and it's not warranted because – you know, you'll have a regular spring training. And by the way, it, it, it saves is different if you're drafting in November versus if you're drafting in mid-March. If you're drafting now before players have signed, before, you know, spring training battles, I mean, you sort of have to put a little bit more money down to lock in those guys. When you're in March, you can say, you know what? I'll take a gamble on this. He's doing well in spring training, right? It's very different drafting saves now versus then. Um, the November drafting now is akin to what happened in February then. So uh, that's sort of the answer to the question. Yeah, that's a really good point about the uh, the lockout. I mean, it does not feel like the lockout was less than a year ago. But um, yeah, like, you know, you mentioned Kenley. Uh, you also sort of had that Craig Kimbrell situation of – yeah. You know, is he going to be a closer? Um, you right. know, you had there. There was definitely uh, some more uncertainty in the market, especially that time of year, than there probably will be this year. So that's that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, for those of us that play in you, just your standard sort of five by five roto, uh, two catcher leagues, uh, let's say that. It, it makes sense to pay up for at least one good closer. And, um, you know, let's say it, it makes sense sort of in a vacuum to uh, make sure you've got, you know, at least one good catcher, maybe two good catchers. Um, and then, you know, obviously you need some speed uh, to compete in, in stolen bases. Uh, is it possible, do you think, um, and advisable to try to get all three of those things early in the draft um or is it or would you take a different a different tact with any of those three yeah i mean <laughs> it would be great if you can get every single person you wanted uh, uh, uh all the time of course you can't you can't get tremendous steals and tremendous save and tremendous catchers and tremendous power you know you can't get all of them there's a limited number of players and it's all about opportunity costs should i if i pay up for this i'm not going to be paying up for that and what you need to do is you really need to take a look at the entire player pool and you need to say what quantities are available at good prices lower down you know maybe it's power maybe it's rbis and if that's the case maybe you can push a little bit more in your value up top on the steals and the saves uh is pitching more fungible this year Maybe you don't need an ace in the first four rounds, and that's what's going to slip out of your first four rounds. There's always a, a trade-off. There's always an opportunity cost. And remember, um, it, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity cost for everybody else. There's going to be players that are pushed to the fifth round, sixth round, that you know, maybe one long time ago before we all pitched up saves and, and steals and whatnot, that you know, they would have been top two rounds, but because everybody's pushing up different categories now, they fall to rounds four and five. That's going to happen. It's going to happen to a lot of people. The trick really is to, you know, 
see what see what's value, see what's scarce, and you do your best to pick the right person at the right time that really follows. The more you can do to get categories that are spread, the better. Um, the more you can get guys who steal a little bit, who who have power, who do this. I mean, to me, my example, and I'm going to talk about it um, on my podcast the next episode is uh, like Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is not a zero in steals. Um, good power, not the best power, but plenty. Fantastic a- average. His run production is enormous. He's totally, totally safe. Guy like that should be pushed up tremendously for the safety, right? Why isn't he? Um, you got to decide, you know, what what is more valuable to you? Is it health? Is it riskiness? And you just gotta you get you can't get you can't get everything you want up early. You just have to get the best when you can uh, at the time that that you get it. Um, but do your homework to know what quantity is available later to know what you need to get more of earlier. Yeah, uh, I just took. Freddie Freeman with uh, my first round pick in my uh, current draft champions at 13th overall uh, was, was pumped to, to get him there. Um, you know, I think he's just a, a great sort of building block. Uh, and it does, it does sort of seem at least for me in hindsight, uh, I regret not, um, you know, I got, I got Austin Riley in some leagues. Uh, I got, Pete Alonso here and there, uh, but I did not get enough of the awesome hitters that were not perceived to be uh, stolen base threats early in the drafts. Like the like, I had zero Aaron Judge last year. Uh, I had zero Freddie Freeman last year, um, and it seemed like a lot of those types of guys ended up being just absolutely you know great values. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, maybe you would have thought he would have stolen, you know, eight, 10, 12 bases, something like that. But um, those guys seem to be getting uh, pushed down as people were uh, really desperate for, for speed and saves. Um, I, I didn't uh, have this one in the outline, but I, I'm interested in your take on uh, Aaron judge. Um, Like I, I, I put out a set of, super early rankings and really didn't put a ton of thought into the exact order of like the top 10, 12 hitters. I got put like judge uh, fifth or sixth. I mean, you're not, you're not really screwing up your draft by whether you take Aaron judge or Juan Soto, like in the middle of the first round, really. Um, But I had a commenter kind of be like, you're, you're crazy for having judge that high. Uh, there's no way he repeats last season, um, you know, contract year, like that type of stuff. Uh, and I, obviously I was like, well, yeah, I'm not expecting him to repeat last season at all. Um, but when you have such a crazy outlier type of season like that, where just there's no way that you could expect him to, to duplicate it. Um, do you think, the projections or the public will be kind of in lockstep on, on where to regress a guy like that. I'm just, I'm interested because I, I was sort of like, well, he probably still hits like around 40 homers if he stays healthy. Um, and that is something you can't say about most players in the game. Right. Um, but I didn't necessarily know exactly how far back to regress that uh, in my head. And I feel like that's, 
something that people are going to have to kind of figure out with a, with a player that's coming off just such an incredible year. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that uh, <laughs> recency bias is a really strong performer. Uh, and there's no doubt that Judge is going to be overvalued by the markets, in my opinion. Uh, projections are going to react, but projections are more methodical in terms of, well, yeah, they'll count last season as the, the most recent season, but it gets a weight. It's not the be-all, end-all. So I, I don't think you're going to – I think that the projections are going to show that Aaron Judge is going to be a bust. There's going to be a few projections that show him as – God or whatever, but uh, I think in general you're going to see projections muted on, on this. I'm very curious to see what ATC is going to say. Um, it, it's funny, last year when I projected Judge, he was one of the safest players with upside according to ATC. ATC actually has some variability metrics. Uh, I project parameter risk, which is how certain how certain we are of a player's true value, and Judge was like super safe. And because he was super safe, my numbers say you should add a couple dollars to that, right? There's a value in safety. Like the Homer totals projected were 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40 by every projection. Oh, what do you think he's going to get? 40, right? Um, how many home runs do you think? If I asked you, James, how many homers is, is Aaron Judge going to get next year? Throw out a number. What do you think? 41. Yeah, I, I would actually come up with something. I'd probably go a little bit higher than that, but we're talking like low 40s, 44, 43. It's hard to project 60 homers for anybody. That would be a bad guess in the long run. Um, so if he was projected for 40 last year, so if you're only going to project 41, 40, he shouldn't be projected for as a first rounder, right? I, I think that uh, the things for him are going to be um, do the stolen bases continue? That's going to really affect his rotisserie value. Odds are they don't continue as much. That was an outlier season. Are they going to go to zero? Probably not. So he'll probably have more value than projected last year, but it's not going to be at the very top. By the way, uh, ADP has him at number five uh, as the fifth uh, highest person being taken right now. You got Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez, Ronald Acuna, Jose Ramirez in early NFBC October drafts. Um, that was his ADP. Um, so the market is showing that he's really a guy to get and – you know, um, he's done this one year. I think the biggest issue for me with Judge is that he's been he last year. The the market didn't pounce on him, and the biggest reason is health. <laughs> he hasn't been that healthy. Last year was his only healthy season in a while. Maybe that's a good sign in the future, but is the health risk really just gone away? I don't know. Plus, where is he going to play next year? Is he going to be at the Yankees' po short porch? I mean. He he's it's definitely not going to go to a better home run environment. The Colorado's not signing him, so it's hard to project more than really what he's been doing for the past couple of years. And to that effect, uh, if I had to guess where he is going to be projected, I think he'll be projected as a late first rounder, and he'll go as an early first rounder, and then he'll be uh, and with risk. I think he'll it'll be too risky for me to pick in the first round, so I probably won't have that many shares. By the way, I had a ton of shares of Judge last year because of the low risk. Any time in general, somebody outperforms, almost always they're overvalued. Can you name me, can you think of a recent case where a guy outperformed one year ridiculously and yet he was undervalued the following year? You really can't think of it. <laughs> I can't think of it, you know? Yeah, def uh, I'm not going to be able to think of that off the top of my head. But um, no, I mean, I what, I what I was sort of trying to sort of say with uh, when I brought up judges, I – I basically wanted to rank him um, like 
I don't plan on taking Judge in the middle of the first round of any draft. Um, and I basically just wanted to put him somewhere where I wasn't going to get any questions about it. And I still got a question about, <laughs> about it being uh, too high. And I think a lot of the – I'm honestly a little surprised that his ADP started off as high as it did at, at fifth overall uh, because you do have, I think, a lot of people that get in these early drafts you know, sort of they've been around, they know what they're doing. And it's so obvious that he's not going to repeat with that season. And it's just sort of where do you sort of slot the regressed version of judge? Um, I mean, would you, would you take, like, I'll, I'll throw out three names for you. Would you take Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts and Juan Soto over him without doing a, a ton of work? I know, I know you're, yeah, in that phase yet? Kyle Tucker, yes. I think Kyle Tucker is really spread out well according uh, by the categories. He projected as a first round player last year. He was great this year. I, I would say yes on him. Juan Soto is one of them. Yep. Juan Soto as well. I think that Juan Soto. He had a down year this year. Maybe he was changing teams. I don't know. Um, I mean, Juan Soto is you know, just a tremendous hitter. Uh, he was projected as a top five guy last year. I, I can't see, I can't see myself taking judge before him uh, as well. And Mookie Betts, um, that'll be a little bit closer. Um, that'll be a little bit closer. I, Mookie Betts, I had more late first round last year. I don't think he moved up that much, but judge might make it to the first round. So I'd probably say I'd take judge ahead of Mookie Betts, but I would take the other two ahead of, ahead of him. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did come up with a potential answer to your question of uh, a player that had, did you phrase it as like career year? Um, and then yeah. was, or, or overperformed. Uh, and any, 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 only big over performance year. And yet in the following year, he was even more, you know, was also undervalued. What do you think about uh, Marcus Semyon from last year? Um, who I was completely off of because I thought that was definitely a career year and it looked like a really good call to be off of them in the first, you know, six weeks or so, uh, still finished with 26 homers, 25 steals. Yeah. Um, it's funny that, that Marcus Semyon to me, all the years has been the poster child of exactly uh good year. Then he regressed the good year regressed. So he was always my example of, well, I, I would always get Marcus Semyon in the 12th round, but now I got to pay fifth round. Forget it. Oh, well, he had a bad year. Now I can get him in the eighth round. Now I'm, getting him so uh, uh he was always my poster child i don't know if he outperformed his market value last year but he certainly was on par so yeah i mean i guess he qualifies somewhat he definitely didn't disappoint right you were you if you picked marcus Semyon at at his draft price last year i think you came up happy uh happy because you made the value so yeah to the extent that that you're not unhappy i guess he qualifies I, there's going to be a few people like that i'm saying it's in the case is usually right. the opposite yeah, yeah. It's, yep you know um, so with the, you know, with, you mentioned this, uh, another quick question I, I didn't put in the outline, uh, apologize for that, but, um, it, with the stolen bases, like you kind of mentioned with judge, when there's an outlier, you regress that back. Um, so Marcus Semyon's a, a great example of this stole a career high 25 bases last year, uh, was with a new team. I don't know how much you'd factor that in. Um, 
but had never stolen more than 15 bases in a previous season. Uh, so with, with cases like this, are you basically always kind of regressing the projection to um, just sort of what it would have been coming into the prior year or, or something close to that with, with a guy like that with the stolen bases? Well, you're going to incorporate the new, the latest year. You know, any pro- good projection system is going to incorporate the latest year more than others, right? So, oh, well, his new total is going to be bumped up, not all the way to the extent of that one is possible. With stolen bases, it's a little bit tricky because it's not just statistical. Again, it's not about ability. It's the manager giving a green light. He sure as heck got the green light last year. Um, you know, I mean, he was, uh, I don't have handy what, what he was caught, but I know he ran more. Twenty. Um, he was twenty-five for thirty-three. Yeah, so he he ran more than usual, right? I mean, I I don't, I don't think he had a, a, a terrible rate. The previous years were only at fifteen, right? He, he, the point is that that he ran more, and that's a manager's decision. Um, it's really whether he's going to run or not is the answer. Now, what's changing in Texas next year? A new manager. Is he going to run more? Um, probably not as much as this guy. Um. It's it really depends on manager's philosophy. If I had to bet, I would bet on it being lower. Again, also he's getting older. He was thirty one mm-hmm. last year. He'll be thirty two. Uh, you know, you would definitely bet on age. Obviously, projections factor in age regression. That you know, at a certain point, your your stone bases tail and tail fast over thirty. Uh, but yeah, you have the manager decision. To be honest, I would take a look for you for those ma- drafting for those drafting now. You're going to make a guess for those drafting mid spring training. Take a look at what the manager is doing. Is he letting his players run or not? Just look at what he does for the team, not necessarily for the player. See what he does for the team. And if he's running a lot, you can probably put Stemi in a little bit higher. If he's not running, that 25 or stolen bases are going to go back to his career norm of 14 or so. Uh, that's how I would figure Stemi in for next year. So let's close by talking about uh, auction strategy. Um you know, I, we've all seen uh, managers leave money on the table in auctions, which obviously is, is very embarrassing uh, if you do that. Um, we've seen, you know, that there's always that sort of pocket in the auction where every buy is an overpay and someone that's stuck with a bunch of money, you know, ends up kind of having to buy a bunch of guys in that range and that, that never works out well. Um, what what are some of your favorite sort of pieces of advice for for people uh, doing auctions? Well, auctions are pretty complicated. They're also pretty fun. I vastly prefer auctions to drafts. And if if you haven't done one, you should definitely try one. You might be hooked. And by the way, for those who think, oh, it takes way too long, it's actually not that much longer. Maybe it's twenty percent. So if your draft is usually three and a half hours, maybe it's four and a quarter hours like it's not all that much more and it's it's well worth it. it's time worth spent um there's a lot of different components i mean first of all uh, what you need to do in an auction is know that you you don't have to panic at any time just because players are being flying off the board doesn't mean anything um the biggest piece of advice i can tell you is that if you calculate an auction value for everybody and use that auction calculator that will give you a calculation, um, you most auctions are set up that you have $260 of auction money to spend on players. If, according to your notes, you have bought 
And according to your projections, you bought $260 of, of worth of value. You have failed. And I say this because you will have an average team, right? If you spend $18 on an $18 player and $12 on a $12 player and $40 on a $40 player, you'll end up with $260 for $260. That's just an average team. To be a good team, you want to have $290 on your paper by only spending 260. If you want to have a fantastic team, you need 320. So in general, you have to buy players at a lower value than than what they're worth. If they say 30, you really need to buy for 27, for 28. If a player is worth 10, you want to pay 3. And it's a lot of practice by doing a bunch of these to know at what the price points are. If if you know, for very hot auctions, if auction, if if there's thirty dollar players and they're all going for forty, forty, oh my god, just sit back. Don't worry that you haven't bought a player in thirty, the last thirty. It's it's a zero sum game. You're going to end up buying tremendous bargains in the middle. If players are going just a dollar or two over, do that, beat that. A dollar or two over, you'll make up that value on the bottom when players have different valuations for $5 players, right? There might not be on, you might have a $5 player on your board. It might be zero for somebody else. You might be able to buy them for a dollar. You'll recoup value later. So if prices aren't ridiculously hot, you pounce early. If prices are very hot, then sit back. It's be reactive to what the room is. Take practice. But overall, get in your head that you need to eventually, for the team total, walk away with more money. And the question is where to do it. Um, it takes practice, but sometimes it's the middle, sometimes it's the top middle, sometimes it's the bottom, bottom. Uh, it's hard to give you a one word answer as to what happens. But in general, I will tell you, though, that um, for shallower leagues, you're probably better off spending more money up top for deeper leagues. You're probably not worth spending money up top and the values will come somewhere more in the middle. That's the general piece of advice that 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 I would tell you happens, but it's practice really. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So, so try it if you haven't. Do you have any uh, nomination um, strategies in terms of which types of players you're throwing out um, say early or, you know, kind of, kind of early in, a, in an auction? Yeah. The general rule is every nomination should have a purpose and you should have a reason for doing it. A lot of people say, oh, just throw out high price guys I don't want to buy. That doesn't actually do anything for you. It doesn't do much. Um, there are, you're better spent by getting information. Oh, you know what? I think that this guy up on top, I think Juan Soto is going to be a big bargain. Oh, maybe it's Mike Trout. Well, if you think you can get a big bargain and it might help you save money later, you need to know whether you're going to actually acquire him. Don't say, I'll wait. We'll see what happens. No, nominate them first. Get the information as to what you have. Um, I can also tell you that sometimes, you know, if, if there's a, if there's five players in a tier that's very similar, people always gravitate to the top guy. Oh, let's get this guy. You don't have to throw out a nomination for the first guy. You might be good getting the fourth guy. And if you throw the fourth guy out before any of the other names come up, you might get a nice discount. I know a couple was it last year, two years ago, uh, two years ago, Tim Anderson. Um, there was Bichette, there was Semyon, there was Correa. There was a whole mess of the middle infielders, but I like Tim Anderson there, and he was number I don't know six in the pile. 
I threw him out before any of the $30 guys came. And I wanted Tim Anderson for 20. I got him for like 16 because I threw him out early. Well, if everyone's thinking, wait a minute, well, I have to bid on Tim Anderson now. I'll go get Bichette. I'll get this guy. Forget about it. And they just didn't realize the value. And by the way, what happens when I get Tim Anderson? It's supply and demand. There's one less supply, right? There's now one less middle infielder. That means the price of everybody else goes up. There's more demand. Price still goes up. And yet I've acquired my guy already. So I've artificially inflated the room because I've nominated stuff out of order. Very, very good suggestion to do. I also have uh, uh, advice on you shouldn't wait. You shouldn't. There, there are guys low down who look like they're going to be big mar bargains. Like if you compare what the market's doing to your numbers, you say, wow. Um, two years ago, Joey Votto, all my sheets said he's like a $10 player. But markets were playing, paying like two, two bucks, three bucks for him. And I said, oh, you know, I really don't want Joey Votto. I wanted a guy up, up top. But I don't want to. How can I have somebody else get Joey Votto for two? I threw him out really early, not like the second nomination, but like the seventh nomination, well before he should go. And my theory was that, OK, I'm, if I throw him out, Joey Votto, two dollars, if I get him for two, great, awesome. But when you throw him out for two it, early, it goes to three, goes to four, goes to five, maybe even six. OK, so now that person got Joey Votto, but it wasn't an eight dollar bargain. It's only a $4 bargain. I've collapsed the return on investment for low-down players. So it's sometimes good to nominate out of order because you can collapse return on investments, very good return on investments later on, which you know a lot of people make – a lot of people who pay up high, they make the big bucks at the end because they scoop up these bargains. Well, collapse some of them. Um, sometimes – the other, and I'll, I'll finish by saying that you also want to make sure your money is somewhat even with the rest of the room. Like if you've spent on a lot of players early on, you need to slow down a little bit. So then throw out a player who you don't want to get money off the board because you want to be you want to have purchasing power that is even or as best you can, even with the rest of the room. You want to at every point of the draft be able to be in on anyone. I know some people who they buy a $40 player, a $40 player, a $40 player, and then they're sitting the whole draft. Well, they're missing out on any of the guys in the middle. They just physically can't bid on it because they don't have the budget. But there could be really good bargains there. You want to be physically able to bid on and able to incorporate your roster anybody at any price point. So make sure that throughout the draft – you're not going too fast or too slow. So if your nominations help with that to get money off the board, sure. If you're very low and you need players and you have too much money, nominate guys that you want because you want to have per a power. You want a purchasing power very similar to everybody else. That's another general tenant. So I ho hope that helps with some uh, some tips on auction for everybody. That was really good stuff, Ariel. Uh, really appreciate you um, breaking all that down. Um, why don't you let people know about uh, the podcast you got going on uh, tomorrow night? Yeah, for, for those who are uh, live here in Mesa, Arizona at First Pitch, uh, presented by Baseball HQ, I'm going to have a live podcast. Uh, my podcast is the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs, uh, and we'll be doing a live show. It's our second year in a row doing a live show, so please come on down, uh, 945 Mountain Time over here. For those who are not as fortunate to be down here, a week later, we'll uh, we'll dub that and we'll uh, put it out on our podcast feed, so you can definitely take a, take a look at that. Awesome. Well, uh, really appreciate you joining me, uh, everyone. You can follow Ariel on Twitter at atcny. 
and I will see you uh, in person here uh, tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to that, James. Th- thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back uh, with another guest next week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.